Welcome to Mastermind, the show where you learn to develop and master your skill from the best of the best. Yes, your host, Mr. G. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today on the journey towards self-mastery. If you love football, you are in the right place at the right time. Our guest today hails from Amityville, New York. He's a member of the Amityville Athletics Hall of Fame that celebrates the best athletes and coaches that came from that town. He was also a three-sport athlete in high school. He played football, basketball, and ran track. Not only that, but he had six championships through his career as a high school athlete. Almost some some Michael Jordan stuff here. After high school sports, he earned a full scholarship to Villanova University. Then he went on to accomplish probably one of the most difficult goals you can accomplish. I know I've heard they say that you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than doing this. This man made it into the NFL. Today we have Mr. Darrell Young with us. And not only is Mr. Young an exceptional athlete, he's also a very powerful voice in the Amityville community. Mr. Young has mentored and trained a number of young athletes from Long Island. Darrell, welcome to the program, man. I appreciate you having me, Mr. G. <laughs> yes, sir. How you feeling, man? All is well. All is well. Just uh, just watching some games and I guess going over film as a as it has been now. So it's a little different. <laughs> sure, man. Um, and, and we appreciate you coming out, man. Uh, people might not know what day it is, but today is Monday. It's Monday night. And instead of, you know, watching NFL all day, Darrell's here with us, you know, trying to inspire and motivate the young kids, man. So we appreciate that. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> And uh, I know now you're not you're not you know currently playing in the NFL, but you're still with the NFL. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. I uh, currently serving as the manager of player engagement and relations for the NFL. Okay. And and what what that role involves? You, you work with like athletes that. Yeah. That yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So working as the manager of player engagement and relations, I uh, I oversee. Uh, eight teams from the league office now in terms of uh, programming initiatives for players transitioning into the NFL and out of the NFL. So really supporting uh, and supporting and educating, serving, empowering players throughout the uh, ecosystem, um, you know, holistically. So whether that be through total wellness, whether that be through financial literacy, uh, continuing education, personal and professional development. So those are some of the pillars that we hone in on and uh, really just being a generalist in all those areas to uh, support the players. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Especially like, you know, to, to have played and then to be able to transition into a role like that. But let's yeah. backtrack a little bit, man. Uh, you know, now we talked, we, we mentioned Amityville in the, in the uh, introduction. I know that's where you're from. Now, when people think about Amityville, I know for me, like the first thing I think about is, you know, those Amityville horror stories and things like that. Um, is that like a big part of the town or is that like something overhyped? You know what? Uh, the Amityville Horror is a big part of the town. So I, you know, going back to college, uh, one of the announcers always called me the Amityville Horror. So I was, hey, whatever, <laughs> whatever gets you recognition. But then the other piece too is, you know, a lot of people, the first thing I say is I'm from Amityville. And a lot of people say, how did you make it out of there? Mm. Well, 
<laughs> you know, it's the odds may be in your favor, Hunger Games, you know, so. That's, that's <laughs> so, an interesting thing right there, too, man. I could have sworn, you know, the Amityville Horror House was like a mansion. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. That's true. But you know, it's just uh, the stereotypes that come out of Amityville, you know. And unfortunately, it, it is what it is there. But at the same time, you know, it's an opportunity to change the narrative, and that's one of the things that I want to do to us uh, give back to the community where I came from. Mm, mm, for sure, man. So, for you, like just backtracking, like how did it all get started, man? Like, did you start playing as a peewee or? You know, when did you start with football and when did you know, like, this is this is it for me? Yeah, that's a good question. So I started playing when I was six years old. Wow. Unfortunately, the Amityville, uh, Amityville as a town didn't have a little league. So I played for the Massapequa Mustangs where I feel like I won a championship every year there. But wow. <laughs> don't go into that. But, uh, you know, I think I lost four games throughout my seven year tenure, seven, eight year tenure down there in Mass people. But That's you know, we didn't have we didn't have a sports league in Amityville. And uh, you know, it's just an opportunity to learn. And I remember going in and uh, we walked into the library. My dad said, Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I said, Dad, I'm gonna go to the NFL. I don't know about y'all, but I'm going. <laughs> uh, you know, fast forward and twenty something years later there I was in well, not twenty something, maybe eighteen years later, maybe sixteen. I can't count anymore. But yeah, about sixteen years later I, you know, played my first snap in the NFL and uh, we laughed about that moment. <laughs> so you're talking about like six, seven, eight years old. You're talking about making yeah. it to the NFL. Yep. Yep. So I think, yeah. So I had goals, you know, and I felt like, uh, you know, I, every kid at six, seven, eight says I want to play in the NFL, but I wanted to learn, learn about the tactical approach, how to get there. I wasn't impressed about the cars or the money, although that could have helped, but I was just oh, fascinated sure. by the idea that, there was players, you know, less than 1% of the 1% had an opportunity to, you know, do something that they love. You know, how many people wake up and do what they love? I wore sweatpants, Ugg slippers, and (laughs) dingy socks to practice. And that was my day because I was putting on my uniform, but I was going to do something that I loved. And uh, I said, I wanted to do that because I wanted to be happy. That's amazing, man. I think that's so important too for young people, man, because sometimes like we chase the money, the fame and everything, but through it all, man. Like doing what you love is just so important, man. So I'm glad you mentioned that actually. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's a dream come true. You know, you walk out into a stadium and see 90,000 people there to celebrate you. But to be honest with you, that was great. But my finest moment was walking across the stage in college, you know, to mm. say that oh, I did this myself. I didn't cheat and I didn't have to plagiarize. I didn't have to lean on anyone besides the, uh, the, just the resources that we had on campus. But wow. So you, you finished know. your whole tenure in college, huh? Oh, absolutely. That was non-negotiable for the parents. Non-negotiable. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Especially like to hear so many, you know, um, college athletes that just focus on the pros and not to say there's anything wrong with it. Um, you know, they, they play one year, two years, or maybe even three. And then, you know, they, they, they don't graduate or, or they might go back later on in life, man. But to just see that, you know, even though you wanted to make the NFL, you still had you know, those aspirations of graduating from college, that's big, man. And so my parents uh, harped on education, you know, and, you know, one of the things that we always said was it was an experience and not a career, you know, let it set you up where you want to go with things. So, you know, looking at it from that standpoint, uh, you know, like I said, it was a non-negotiable. I got a D my freshman year of college uh, in statistics. I hated math. I got a D and I came home. My dad was one of those guys from the South. He didn't say anything just looked at me and said, I didn't send you to school for that. That's all he said. I graduated with a 3.5 GPA. Wow, that's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> and what, what, what was your bachelor's in? 
Uh, so I double major communication and economics. Nice. I figured if I learn supply and demand, I'll be all right. I figured if, you know, they didn't offer sports management as an undergrad and it's almost, uh, you know, almost, almost really a benefit that they didn't because I felt like I would have been settling at that, at that point, but I did communications because it was so broad. Mm. If I can go back, I would go back and do a business degree. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's never too late, man. <laughs> too late. I'm going to get my master's now. So I'm excited about it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Just even backtracking, man, I'm still thinking about the uh, six, seven, eight, thinking about making this. Like, I like, what were, you know, did you talk to some of your teachers and people, you know, in that community about it? Like, what was their reaction? Like hearing a yeah. six or seven year old talking about they going to the NFL? Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, I, I'll even, you know, go forward a little bit to high school. You know, I said it while I was in high school and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my parents always supported me. My pa- you know, they, my parents never missed a game until the last game that I played in. They never missed a game. Wow, kudos even to them. The level, yeah, even at the professional level. So they sacrificed a lot, but, you know, I take it back to people in the community. Um, I can't think of another player that played in the NFL. I think Rob Carpenter was one maybe, but I know he went to Wake Forest, but I don't know if he ever played in the NFL. And mm. we had guys play basketball, but I can't think of a guy who played football. And I said, I'm going to be one of those guys. I don't have to be the first, but I want to be a guy that contributes for the generation that I'm a part of and to set the example that we can be more than just in the streets and, you know, uh, settling, as we should say, mm. <laughs> settling for things that we don't want to do. And uh, that was one part of it. And then the other piece was I had a coach who told me I wasn't going to do it. And he ended up being the assistant principal. His name is Matthew Swinson. He's from Bullshore. <laughs> and I'm going to call it out because I told sure. I, when I see him, I'm going to thank him because he told me I was never going to be anything. He suspended me for – I had my one and only suspension in high school was for having a water bottle fight outside with myself and another guy on the football team throwing water at each other. He suspended wow. him and said that I was a thug and he said a bunch of other things. And I said, you know what? I'm going to thank you. So if I ever see him today, I would just say thank you. No hate, no hate here. Wow. I think that's powerful too, man. Like, cause you know, like sometimes we think that everybody's going to be with us with our goal and, you know, um, back us up and all these things. But, you know, some of the people that you might be the closest with might doubt you or say like, you can't do that. Just like, you know, your coach, your, your um, principal, man, that's, and, and to be in that position, man, as a coach or principal, where you should be inspiring kids to be in that position to tell a kid that they can't do something. That's that's beyond <laughs> it's beyond me, man, that you would say something like that, man. But shout out to you for not believing in that and believing in yourself more than, you know, anybody else. I think that's so important. Yeah, it's definitely unethical on his part. But you know what? Uh, I, I don't blame him. I don't blame ignorance. I just think about uh, where I wanted to go. You know, I can't. I can't blame someone else for not seeing where I wanted to go. You know? mm. Yeah, for sure, man. And I know you mentioned like when you talk about Amityville, people are like you made it out of there. So, you know, were there some like negative influences? And I know a lot of kids like that have dreams of making it big with sports. Sometimes, you know, their circle might not be the best. Like, did you did you have good people around you or was it kind of like a mix or? Yeah, so it's a good question. You know, I had some people around me who, you know, made some other choices, you know, ended up in the system in mm-hmm. various ways, but nothing that they were bad people. They were just trying to make it, you know, but my parents, my, I watched my dad clean banks for 10 years. I watched my dad lose his job at House of Past Plastic and drive a bus and clean banks at night wow. just to make ends meet for our family. So that was not an option for me to go do something. If I was going to do something, it was going to be go, you know, go get a legal job and, 
do some things to actually contribute to the family. But I also knew that they told me that my most important purpose in life right now is to get good grades, go to college. So I didn't have to work as hard as them. So they, they, they were the model for me in terms of the foundation. And I have nothing but, you know, thanks to them and kudos to them for what they were able to do for me. And I've been in the same house and I didn't have to move. You know, I still live wow. in the house now. My parents bought it in 1979 for $19,000. So thinking about what that was now and, you know, hopefully one day we can get some money for it. But <laughs> it's the house that I grew up in, but it's based off the foundation that they laid down for me so that I didn't have to move around and, visit, you know, uh, experience different things. That's an, that's an amazing story, man. Um, and again, shout out to your parents, man, for making that happen. You know, I could see 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 something like a documentary folding from this, man. Just yeah, I would you know, like parents I would putting like in it. that work, man. I would like it, but the documentary, if we did do one, the focus would be literally to show kids that you can be more than what someone else told you that you can be. Mm. It's about, not about making it to the highest level of professional sports. The highest level is going to be a lawyer, going to be a doctor, just getting your degree because education is powerful. And it's one thing that they hate and it's an educated black man. For sure, man. Well said, well said. And you know what that reminded me of too, man. Um, Allen Iverson's, uh, his uh, basketball coach, I know passed recently. And, um, you know, he always talked about preparing guys for when, you know, the ball stops, you know, bouncing or the ball stops moving. And I always thought about that, like, you know, not, not too many people think like that as, you know, coaches and adults, like to prepare the young guys for what's going to come next. And I think that's so important, you know? Yeah. And that's why I love what I do now in the NFL office in terms of, you know, just equipping players for what's next. And it's not about transitioning away from the game that you love. It's just really just setting up for when you leave that you don't have to work as hard. Now you're just mm -hmm. managing, you know, the finances that you made or the relationships that you've had to, put you in a position that you don't really want to work that hard anymore. You ran sprints, you lifted weights, you did all these things. So by the time, you know, you, you grind in your twenties, you figure it out in your thirties and your forties you're supposed to coast it, you know? So that was just my sure. mind. <laughs> you know what they say, man, work, work smarter, not harder, right? <laughs> yeah, man. So, so through it all, man, like, you know, six championships in high school, was that all football? No, I wish it was, man. So that was <laughs> basketball. We had four in basketball alone, and uh, we had only one in football, but we won in track every year, too, so I'm going to count those. You got to add some more. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you got to count the track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, out of all of that, man, like, what, what do you hold on to, like, with your high school career? Like, what what's some of your favorite memories? My favorite memories? Wow. Well, whew, there's a lot of them. From a memory standpoint, I got a negative. I fumbled on the one-yard line in the Long Island Championship. <laughs> so we talk about that. But uh, that was a negative. But positive memories, you know what? Honestly, it's just uh, just being in a locker room for games, just winning those basketball championships. And I know I played football, but it was something about those championships, having Jack Agostino as the coach and, you know, playing with A.J. Price and Jason Frazier and all those guys who, you know, one, were able to play at the next level, but two, just damn good people, you know? And I think that's what I took from it all. The memories are just the conversations uh, on their way trips, you know, uh, never playing in the fourth quarter, you know, of a league wow. game, things of that nature, you know? So those are the memories. <laughs> Dynasty <you> status, man. <laughs> those are the things where you could joke about, you know, later on in life. And uh, that's, that's what I enjoy most about it. That's awesome, man. And and even the, the fumble in the one-yard line, man, um, you know, those, those things build character, man. A lot of people don't, don't think about the L's that they take, man. Like, but the L's is what builds 
you know, your character and teaches you how to take L's in life. I know for me, I remember, you know, as a track athlete, like uh, we had a, a state qualifier uh, event when I was a senior and we were losing and we we're running the relay. I got the baton at the fourth leg and I was able to close the gap, you know, but it was like too late and we just missed it, man. We lost by one one hundredth of a second. And that always stayed with me, man. And, you know, that loss just really helped me just in life, man, just being able to 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 deal with it, to take it in and to think about everything that transpired and what I was able to do. And did I give it my everything like you think about with, with losses like that, man. So I think even that, that one yard line fumble is important. Yeah, so I think about, you know, we do these leadership calls on Saturdays with some, some youth and uh, they're from all around the country. And, you know, one of the one of the weeks we just put up a hurdle and I just asked everyone, you know, what do you think about when you see this hurdle? It was a hurdle set up as an intermediate hurdle. So if anyone mm. knows about track 400 meters or 300 meters, whatever it may be, you know, you come around that last turn, you probably have three hurdles left. But I said, what do you see on this hurdle? And we got so many different answers. But I said, for me, that other side of the hurdle is what the goal was. And when they teach you, you run through the hurdle, not to the hurdle. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when I thought about that is you're always going to come out on the other side. It may not look pretty. It may not even you may not even see what's going to happen. It might be all negative, And then that one day is positive. But you will come out on the other side. And that was the goal of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, man. That, that's a good little metaphor right there, man. That hurdle, like, running through it. That's, that's awesome, man. Real connection with life right there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I know in high school, too, you were, like, a three-sport athlete. And the three-sport athlete's kind of, like, dwindling down right now. Like, a lot of players, you know, high school players now, you know, they'll stick with one sport. You know, they'll play football, and that'll be, like, all year where they train and lift in the winter and do drills and certain things in the spring and then, you know, play again in the fall or where you got basketball and they're doing something similar, like they're doing um, their games in the, in the winter or whatever. And then during the spring, they do spring ball, summer ball, all this other stuff. Um, a lot of athletes are not playing three sports anymore, man. So do you think like this is just the evolution of the sport or is this something we should really be going back to, man? Yeah, I think it I think it is the evolution of the sport. I think about where AAU is today. I think about the scholarship opportunities that are out there. I mean, kids are getting scholarships from AAU, not high school right now. But I also think about the other approach and what I was able to do from those three sports. Uh, LeBron mm. James is an all-state receiver. Kobe Bryant played soccer for the footwork. So you mm. think about some of the greats that were out there and what they were able to do and why they were so great at what they did. They mastered something else and brought it to that sport to make them even better. So one from the mindset standpoint and the other piece is, you know, just the skill, just skill work, you know, something that you may not be able to get from basketball. And I think about, you know, football for me, um, you know, I was the guy that played defense. I was going to play on the best defender. He might give me 30 like Sebastian Telfair, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm going to stop him when it mattered, I hope. But uh, I translated that to football. And I said, if I did, you know, if I had an opportunity to be on the front line of kickoff return, it's all about taking a charge where well, I learned how to do that in basketball, you know, mm -hmm. how to feed, how to set up, you know, and take that charge from a guy running a 40 yard dash, lock arms and either fall with him or, you know, just block him. So there's a lot of transferable skills that I learned, even form when you're tired and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think um, sometimes in, in, I know exactly like in high school programs, I can kind of see the athletes that don't do the three sports, you know, where their yeah. flexibility is at. 
you know, like you mentioned running track. I know track is big with flexibility and um, body motions and movements and things like that. And I can see if an athlete has that type of background just from them warming up and doing, you know, certain drills and things like that. So yeah. like you said, man, those, those skills, you know, they really translate to your main sport. Yeah, we had we had some great coaches in Amityville in terms of uh, really supporting each other, one, from that season to season aspect, but also, you know, what, what the goals were and why we were doing certain things. So if you wanted to play basketball, Jack Agostino made you run cross country if you weren't doing anything mm. else weren't sitting around you were going to condition because he said we were going to be the best conditioned team and I can't have you sitting out for two months and then come and thinking we're going to be a conditioned team and then from a football standpoint you know we were all going to play basketball but you know coach Hawkins and Lenny Mater and Frank DiVenuto said you know this is where it's going to be you're going to learn form you're going to learn you know discipline in terms of start stop time you know working with a team on a relay from a relay aspect mm. and then over to the football field and saying when we're doing conditioning or we're in the middle of a game, like don't lose your form when you're tired, running for a touchdown, you know, things like that. So it all translated. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And it's awesome too that those coaches were able to work together, you know, and develop a full athlete. That's amazing, man. Yeah, you don't see that much. Everyone's competing now. Yeah, competing. yeah, yeah. Like they, you know, people want to have the athlete all year long by their side instead of saying, like, nah, listen, man, go go and play, go and run cross country, man. Go run track, <laughs> you know. Do something different, you know, that's, that's important. But yeah, man. Um, so that journey, man, that process of you, you know, now getting the scholarship to Villanova and preparing for like the NFL, like, what was that process like? Cause I, I know a lot of young people, sometimes they see the end product. They see LeBron, they see Zion Williamson, you know, they see Patrick Mahomes, people like that. And they don't really know. They don't see, like what happens when, you know, after the game, before the game, you know, years before they were there, like what happened and what their process was. So as you're, you know, preparing for your dream of making it to the NFL, like what was that that process for you? Oh, it was uh, the hardest thing was waiting. You, mm. just, you just never know when the day is going to come. The draft came, all three days happened, didn't get a call. My agent called me and said, hey, the Redskins want to bring you in for a workout. I said, all right, cool. Well, I ended up, you know, that next week I was literally in D.C., got signed out of there. I signed a a waiver form, not a contract, a waiver saying if I got hurt, the Redskins were not responsible. Well, I didn't get hurt, signed a three-year deal out of that and, you know, went and was able to go into training camp as a linebacker. It was uh, one of the greatest things I've ever done. You know, I got cut. At the end of training camp, I flew home on Saturday night. They called me back the next morning at 7 a.m. and said they were going to bring me back to the practice squad. They cut me three weeks later on September 24th at 8, 8 11 a.m. Wow. <laughs> um, so they cut me, and then I flew home, and I worked at finish line for a few months, and then I was getting ready to head to Canada to play, and my agent called me back and said, hey, the Redskins want to bring you back. So I had to weigh my options. Do I go with the minimum in the NFL or do I take $40,000 in, in Canada? Well, the NFL minimum was a lot larger. It was 315000 at that time. And I can say that because it's on Madden. So <laughs> <laughs> it's public information. But, you know, dealing with that, I had $42 in my account when I went back to Risky Park. And wow. Coach Shanahan, I'm not going back home. That's not an option. And, and I ended up starting uh, five out of those six years, you know, at fullback. They moved my position and – uh, it, it was tough, you know. It was a lot of a lot of uh, self-reflecting. Uh, you know, cried a little bit. It was the first time I really didn't know what was next in my life, but 
had an opportunity to get back on the field and uh, play the game that I love at the highest level. Uh, that's amazing, man. That's that's an amazing story, man. Like, talk about like perseverance, man. Just you know, being able to take that rejection and then coming back strong, like that's that's amazing. I don't know too many too many athletes that would have you know stuck with it like that, man. Yeah, it was it was tough, you know. But like I said, I uh, I knew what my end goal was, and you know, my my goal was to get on that field. And even my college coach said, well, maybe it's time to go work at WB Mason. I didn't want to work at WB Mason. Office supplies wasn't what I was going to sell. If I was going to sell office supplies, it was going to be with my name on it because I just scored some touchdowns. <laughs> so, you know, hearing that was just extra motivation to get back on the field. And uh, like I said, I, I felt like I had the talent level. I just had to prove it to the scouts. And you know, mm. it felt like business. So, you know, <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into it on the dark side that people don't <laughs> For sure, man. And, like when 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 in your brain did you like realize that you made because I was actually watching um I think it was a Super Bowl last year and they were you know honoring you know these these vets that have played for you know maybe like 30 40 years ago and they mentioned that you know being in an, uh, the NFL is like part of this elite group of like maybe 20,000 to 30,000 people ever and I never thought about that I'm like wow like you know, all these years that the NFL has existed, there's only been 20,000 to 30,000 people that have made it into the NFL. Yeah. Like that is really an elite group. So like, when did that register in your brain? Like, yo, I'm in the NFL. Like, <laughs> this is real. Like, So I, uh, I had two instances. The first one was we played, well, it was a few of them. We played Ray Lewis. <laughs> Preseason game 2009 was my first game playing the Ravens. I said Ray Lewis. We're playing the Ravens, and you know he's coming oh, he, out. He was the man. He he was he was the the face of the Ravens, man, at that time. So, so he <laughs> came out of the tunnel. They announced everyone, but he started dancing the Nelly hot in here. So I knew he was the man. In the mm. middle of the game, we're on punt formation, and he says, "Hey, fat boy, you want to see magic?" <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Puts his hands up. The whole stadium erupts. They start cheering, and I'm just caught in awe, like, damn, okay, cool. The next game, we play Tom Brady and Randy Moss. So I'm like, damn, these dudes are, like, they're both the GOATs. Like, Randy Moss is going to cross somebody. Tom Brady, well, that's just Tom Brady. And then, uh, yeah, he was coming off that ACI, I believe, the year before. So it was kind of cool to see him in action. And then that next, uh, my first active game, we played the Cowboys on Sunday night, and the uh, stadium was just electrifying. 90,000 fans, 91,000 fans in the stadium. Half of them Cowboys <laughs> fans, but uh, you know those were the three moments where I was like, "This is surreal right now." Yeah, that's amazing, man. Like, just I can't even imagine that, man. Just that many people watching you, and then you still got to perform. It's not like you could just, you know, yeah. sit back and awe. <laughs> Ray Lewis is coming yeah. after you. <laughs> we, had, we actually won that game that night. We actually won all three of those games. You know, that's two right. of them preseason, but you know, the one that counted was the Cowboys and. uh yeah, Romo, we, they got a home call at the end of the game, and we won on a humble, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with that, man. Oh, at all. Yeah, man. Um, Another thing, too, man, with just making it, like, you know, sometimes when you make it at different levels, whether college or, or the pros, they might change your position around. And I know, like, the quarterback position is, has always been just a controversial position uh, in the NFL and in college. And um, I'm thinking like maybe like a, a high school athlete that's used to playing quarterback. Maybe they've been playing quarterback for like since they were a peewee and their coach is like, hey, like, let's try the wide receiver position. Let's try the cornerback uh, position, you know. 
so they can put somebody else in that quarterback. Like, what advice would you have for that kid? The more you could do, <laughs> the more you could do, the longer you'll stay around. Be a Swiss Army knife. I mm-hmm. think. I uh, think of my my role. You know, when I knew when Jay Gruden took over, I did my I did the math. He had his fullback had ninety one snaps in four years, which equates to about six percent of the offensive plays that they had, maybe even less. Mm. Definitely, definitely less, but you average 91, 91 plays in an average game. So think about that. <laughs> but over the course of four years, you know, I it might even be two or three percent. But um, I knew my time was coming to an end there, so I had to shine on special teams. And then I, you know, was second on the team each year in special teams tackle. So I knew I had to, you know, get down on kickoff, just be the best guy in punt protection, um, do the little things that keep you around that you know some players make a living off of, but. The more you can do, and that's even in life, the more you can do in terms of, you know, your department role as a manager, as a coordinator, as a director, whatever it may be, the better chance that you have of, uh, you know, being of value to that to that that team. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And um, just with that, too, I was thinking about, you know, Lamar Jackson's story, man, of when he made the NFL, you know, they wanted him to play another position. And it was fascinating. I'm like, this guy just won the Heisman. <laughs> you know, like, why would, why would anybody want him to play another position, man? But he kind of like took a risk and stuck to his guns, man. Like, I'm playing quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that was a a guy knows what he wants. You know, and I was at the draft actually in Dallas when he was sitting in the room, and uh, oh, wow, I was sitting, I was sitting in the back, and it was my first, my first time working in the NFL in the NFL office, and just looked at him. He said, "Man, f this. I'm about to prove the world wrong." 32, mm-hmm. acceptable. And I was like, all right, young fella, I like it. You know, me, <laughs> naive, hey, man, I done seen it all. I done seen RG3. Fast forward, here we are in his uh, third year now. And it's like, wow, this dude, uh, this dude's special. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad he trusted himself. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, and that's that's inspiring, man. Just, just even going back to your story connects with your story because just believing in yourself when other people don't. You know, people are doubting you and saying, you know, you can't do this. And you're like, nah, I'm going to show you, you know, no matter what, what you think, you know. Believe in yourself, fool, because no one else will believe in you more than you will. Believe in you. (laughs) Yes, sir. Um, I know you mentioned, like, you have, like, this passion of, like, reading and things like that. Like, when did you start developing that? Was that, like, through school or? um... You know what? To be honest, uh, I I felt like. Everything that I was going to learn was literally in the streets and in life. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was one of those guys that I, I'm not going to read this, man. I'll get a glimpse. I'll read the first three lines of it and have an <laughs> understanding of it. And uh, I'm not going to say I struggled in school, but I could have done a lot better than A minuses and B pluses. And that was without trying, you know, just showing up to the test and doing some things. But, you know, I wasn't going to say I was taking the hardest classes either. But, um, but now, you know, now that I have a little girl, I see how important it is, you know, just from a communication standpoint, uh, one, you know, when I'm in my day to day life, but two, for what I want her to do. I struggled writing growing up, not mm. not bad. But when I'm talking about APA, when I'm talking about compound words and things of that nature, I was like, what? I'm writing, <laughs> writing essays like, man, I'm just writing what I think, you know, and not understanding plagiarism, but all of that stuff. But. You know, now that I'm in grad school and stuff, I'm glad, you know, doing the COVID actually, you know, I'm, I'm up to 10 books now that I'm reading. I'm actually reading Grit now. Ah, uh, no, I've heard about Grit. I, I haven't read it yet, but I, I know a lot of people praise that book. Yeah, so it's been good, but read Outliers, read that subtle art, not giving an F. Um, you know, every, everyone communicates, few connects, a uh, few, few connects. So, 
it's just been some good books that I wanted to. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take the uh, liberty to read it, but I'm also going to do it with my daughter too. So she has her Berenstein Bears book collection. <laughs> she has her books, you know, so it's just, uh, you know, knowledge is power. You know, knowledge is power. Yeah, sure, man. Absolutely, man. And I kind of flashback when you mentioned like, uh, you know, getting a bad grade because my first English class in college was like, you know, I got a D in that class. <laughs> that was probably the only class I had to repeat like in college in. Um, it kind of struck me hard because I'm like, I thought I knew how to write, you know, this stuff, man. But it hits you different, man, when, when you uh, when you are in college, man, and outside of the high school environment. And I'll tell you what, though, too, when I came to the office, you know, everyone said, oh, he's just an athlete. So I was labeled, you mm. know, and able to put a nice uh, uh, a professional email together. It was like, oh, OK, this guy may be more than an athlete. You know, I'm not going to shut up and dribble. I'm not going to you know, <laughs> do other things. So it was kind of cool to kind of change that narrative and say, oh, he's not that a-hole guy that we thought he would be coming into the office thinking he's better than, you know, carrying a few boxes or doing or whatever. But, you know, we talk about those transferable skills. It's just uh, some of the things that you learn in sports, you know, and you just got to be able to adapt. And, uh, you know, that's why it's imperative that you read because less than 1% of the guys that play the game in the NFL, you know, are able to not work again. It's wow. not the they made. So the rest of us got to get a job. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, that that obviously reminds me of just you know LeBron and the amount of things that that he's done, and just paving the way for intellectual athletes and not just like that, like you just said, like that. Shut up and dribble, and I'm not gonna say nothing, and I won't motivate nobody or inspire anybody, but you know, worry about myself. But he he really kind of paved the way for that, man. And uh, when you think about it, like just sports within itself is so cerebral, like it's so mental. Like you can really, like you just said, like transfer the skills, the knowledge into life, you know, with whatever education, uh, hard work, all of those things come back into play. And when I came in, in the NFL office, that was the only things I said in the league office. Why should we hire you? I'm dedicated. I'm loyal. I'm trustworthy. I'm mm. accountable. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> that nature. So. You know, it, everything everything that I did in sports, you know, transferred over into the real world for me. That's awesome, man. So um, I know just outside of like, you know, sports and things like that, like you do a lot of things for the community and pretty much everything you do is free, correct? Absolutely. Wouldn't charge a kid a dime to learn because I was once in that seat. Mm. And, uh, my parents, I'm not going to say wouldn't be able to afford it, but I wouldn't be able to go to, you know, the things that I try to do which is literally probably once a week or, you know, twice a week, whatever it may be. My parents couldn't have afforded that. Maybe once every six months we would have been cool. But, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to give back. And mm -hmm. some of the things that we do, um, the reason why, you know, Book Outlier, it was pretty good. But they talked about, you know, kids, it's not about doing the school year where kids separate from a learning experience throughout the summer. So I try to give back in the summer to the underprivileged kids who, you know, where in the communities that don't look like where I'm from, um, you know, have the opportunity to, you know, have the the learn the, the distant learning or, you know, the experience of doing internships, whereas we don't have that. So how can I create opportunities? That's amazing, man. That, kudos to you for doing that, man. I think that that opens up doors for kids that, like you just said, wouldn't normally be able to afford it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing too is, you know, people say that we can't do it. Everything I hear about, you know, uh, not having minorities in leadership is they don't know where to go to have them. And mm. we have pipelines. It's just giving us a chance and exposure to do it. 
because I guarantee you a kid that lives on Coolidge and North Amityville and Smith Street is just as talented as the kid that live on Park Avenue and Massapequa Park. It's mm. just not that exposure and those opportunities, you know, but in terms of thinking, like you think about, you know, executing how I'm gonna get to practice every day, how I'm gonna get to school. Like those are things that transfer into the real world because when it comes to the project, how are you gonna get this done when you don't have a plan? Well, I'm gonna create my own plan and that's how I'm gonna execute it, you know? So I just think about it from that standpoint, we have all the tangible skills we need. It's gotta need the exposure. Absolutely, man. And um, just with the young athletes that you work with, I know you work with young athletes outside of camp too, like personally, like you just mentioned the whole internship stuff that you do with them. What do you want them to take out of their experience with you? To be honest with you, uh, one, be authentic. And when I mean be authentic, it's all about authentic engagement. It's not about what you know. It's not about who you know. It's about who knows you and who can vouch for you. So when I think about, you know, the relationships that I have, they're all authentic. You're not going to hear anyone say that, oh, he uh, he's one of those guys that's an a-hole. No, I, mm-hmm. I treat people how they want to be treated. You know, if you're a nice person, I'm the happiest guy in the world. I'm a smile, I'm a laugh, but I don't like bullying. I don't like, you know, there's some things that are non-negotiables that I, I, that I don't like. And if I see it, I usually try to step in and I'm almost certified gold glove. So I'm ready for that life too. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know that part. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, I just never wanted to come to that. But the lessons I want to take to them is that you're more than an athlete. Uh, understand the platform that you can have and use sports to get to where you want to go. So if you want to be a lawyer, let sports pay for school for you for seven years <laughs> to go be a lawyer. Then why not, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's amazing. So just, uh, you know, in regards to, you know, the young people, which we're talking about right now, um, you know, during COVID right now, it's kind of really difficult for a lot of young athletes out there, man. So what would you say to the young athlete that wants to get a scholarship to play in college, but they have limited opportunities right now? Get an academic scholarship because mm. they can get that away from you. And I, I think about it. You know, all the opportunities that we have in the NFL office for uh, for college students, the ones that separated are the ones that have the 4.0s. And it's not, you know, they'll, they'll look at the Harvard and the Yales and all of that, but why can't you go to Yale and make it to the NFL? There's a bunch of guys that have done it, but why not get the education with it? So when you graduate, you know, people now are like, you're smart, you went to Villanova. And I'm not smart. I just took advantage of the opportunity. <laughs> you know, and that's how I look at it. So yeah, that- let, education, let education take you. So when they refer to you, it's not you're just an athlete, you're a student athlete. Yeah, that's so true, man. Would you would you say the same thing for the ones that are like in college and want to go pro and are yeah. still sidelined by COVID and all that? Yeah, absolutely. Figure out what you don't like now. And that's 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 the goal. So you're at that point now where, like I said, me three guys from your from your team where you at outside of Alabama will may have an opportunity to get into a tra- NFL training camp. And we've seen that this year and even in 2011 with the lockout, but figure out what you don't like. So when you're going through that transition phase, it's easy to say that, you know what? I didn't like all of that when I tried it. I'm going to go this route now. You know, so at least you're narrowing, narrowing down your search field. If you have 15 things, just like all athletes, I want to do real estate. I want to own a business. I want to do 15. Well, go try it. Go shadow some of these people. Figure out if you really want to do it. That makes sense, man. That makes sense. And, um, you know, just, uh, with um, with uh, young people now, like I feel like a lot of you know people don't talk to young people about their social media. And I know you being at the college level and at the pro level, you've seen a lot with social media and people getting in trouble from it. You know, like 
with the kids that hang around you, what do you try to get, you know, them to understand about like what they're doing on social media, what they're saying on social media, the impacts of that with, you know, going to school and getting a scholarship and things like that? Yeah. So the first thing I always tell them is you, you are your own brand. So however you advertise yourself on social media is how people are going to see you from in different countries. Mm. So what I mean by that is cyberspace is real. I work with a platform and a company. So anytime you hit send, it is out there. And know that I have an app to see everything that you tweeted. So I can go back in and do an audit to show, show you because that's what the companies are doing when they do these audits. They have, you know, uh, that's where Twitter makes their money. That's how Instagram makes their money. It's not mm -hmm. so much people tweeting as much because they're paying the athletes to tweet. But they're, these companies are also paying for background checks and other things to figure out what people are doing. So you are your own brand. Utilize it to whatever story that you want to tell. If it's you want to tell your story, like how Biggie said it, I'm a you know broke kid that made it out of the hood. Do that, but do it in a professional manner because it does come back and people are viewing that. And that's really the perception that you build. That's so true, man. That's so true. And um, I was just thinking about like the whole college, you know, controversy with whether college athletes should get paid. And I remember with that whole thing, I remember watching Zion Williamson play so much at yeah, Duke. And I was looking up like, you know, the the top most watched games during the season Zion played. All five of the most watched games were Duke games. Yep. And yep. I remember looking something up too, like, and it said that um, had he have gotten paid, he probably would have made like 5 million for the year, you know? It's crazy. So just with that being said, um, where, where do you stand on that debate of whether college athletes should get paid or not? Yeah, so it's interesting you said I just finished a 10-page paper with my group on that uh, for oh, school. Yeah. And my stance is college athletes should be paid. The tuition rate uh, or student students that just go to school to be lawyers and doctors go to school because of pride, because of the sports program. I think about Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush is arguably the greatest football player in NCAA history. Uh, and I'll go to I'll go to war with anyone on that. But when people turned on the, the tuner on uh, on Saturdays, they didn't say, I'm going to watch USC. I'm going to watch Reggie Bush play. That's what people said. Mm -hmm. The number five jersey in the bookstore, you knew it. The, four, the three years that Reggie Bush was at USC, they said that his family took $300,000. Okay, cool, whatever. I don't think that's ethical, but there's other conversations to that. If you mm -hmm. paid a you wouldn't have to worry about that. But on the, on the flip side, the, the three years that Reggie was on the field for the money that he bought in for that athletic program mm -hmm. greatly surpasses the amount of a four-year scholarship. And he can, he can even count that four years because he only did three. So you wow. take that four-year scholarship, which is probably, you know, 200000 let's say, total for Reggie Bush. Think about the money that he made because he did that probably in two quarters. <laughs> in one <laughs> so... I think athletes should be play, paid, and I think, uh, you know, the system is outdated. I just think they need to figure out how to, to navigate that, and I think you'll mitigate some of those uh, those risks that are at hand in terms of agents stepping in to do, you know, unethical behavior or, you know, like you said, use design example. Think about when he his shoe busted. Think about how much money yeah. Nike back into that to change that narrative just because Zion busted out of his shoes. <laughs> Crazy, man. It, it's and I, I was watching the games, man. I was like hooked on watching Zion, man. And I'm like, wow, the, the president is here, you know, um, all these celebrities going, you know, to the games and everybody's there, man. And, you know, the the athlete itself, the people that 
the person that they're there to see is benefiting the least. And it's like, wow, this is it's crazy. Sports has a way to speak to youth in a language that they understand. Mm. It powers and it encourages, um, puts batteries in our back. We, we, we cheer more about, um, you know, our, our favorite team winning the Super Bowl than paying our taxes on time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like it's little things like that. So think about the power of sports and where it is. And, you know, the NCAA is making billions of dollars each year of student athletes. You talk about TV revenue, you talk about individual sponsor deals, you think about, you know, monies that the boosters are giving, like mm-hmm. think about the tailgate, the tickets, like Michigan is selling out 110,000 seats every week, wow. Penn State the same way. So all this money and the athletes aren't seeing a dollar of it, but people are coming to see them. I'm glad they took the NCAA game away, but now that players are able to benefit off uh, name likeness and image starting in 2023, I think, uh, you know, that's another thing. Now they got to bring that game back and they're going to have to pay players more. Now the university is going to have to pay out as opposed to outside entities, because even though the name likeness and image is good because mm-hmm. Nike will have to pay for an endorsement, the schools still don't have to pay. And by NCAA bylaws 13.32 or something like that, like I said, I just did the paper. So I remember most of it, but, <laughs> You know, thinking about it from that standpoint, the universities are still benefiting, benefiting. When you talk about concession stands, you're talking about, think about MetLife Stadium for the NFL. Mm. 82,000 seats, average tickets are $176. You do the math. I think it's $14,432,000, you know, just on ticket sales. Now you're not including suites. You're not including concession stands. You're not including parking. So think about all this money that's coming in. There's some more money out there for athletes and all at all levels. <laughs> yeah, I mean from any of those you mentioned, like they can pay like the whole team, <laughs> you know, just from, you know, a piece of the money that they get. And it's crazy. <laughs> everyone, everyone. I mean, and I think about the last argument that I made on it was literally think about the coaches, how much money they're making. You know, mm-hmm. you got Dabo Sweeney, his whole staff, you know, together is making $13 million a year. Wow. You know, something like that. So when you look at it from that standpoint, Who's really selling the tickets? I'm not going to see Dabo Sweeney stand on the sideline and coach. I can care less. You can put anyone out there. You can put you can put Mr. G out there. I ain't going to see. I ain't going to see that. I'm going to see them players on the field win that game. So, I think that's the uh, disconnect there. Yeah, for sure, man. Well said, man. I, I hope it does get to a point where where these guys start getting what they deserve, man. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, man. So you know, so now you know you're kind of working with the athlete, the athletes that get cut the ones that get hurt, you know, the ones that are dealing with a lot, like mentally, emotionally, and things like that. So how do you deal with, you know, that athlete that gets cut, that, you know, needs advice, needs help? Yeah, so the first thing you tell them is they're not alone. Mm. You know, get cut, uh, 90% of the time, it's the first time these players have been cut. That was my first time I was cut. So I didn't, you know, just tell them you're not alone, but also there's resources that are in place for this reason, you Mm -hmm. know, you ever thought about going back to school? Have you ever thought about, you know, professional development in the business space, uh, personal development, the mental standpoint? I think um, that's one of the things that's one of the most underrated pieces of everything. Total wellness is what we call it, but mm-hmm. psychology is really wrapped around everything that we do because, you know, you think about your motivation factor, like what motivates you this morning? You know, why do you get up? What's your why? That's all around mental wellness because you're thinking it, you know, so yeah, yeah. we keep that positive mindset to uh, really develop you. 
Yeah, for sure, man. And, you know, it's funny too, like with, with Corona and, um, you know, everything that's been happening with the athletes, like whether they should play, whether they shouldn't play. I know before they made the NFL decision and, you know, even the NBA decision before all of that, um, they were saying like, you know, a lot of athletes are worried about whether they're going to get paid or not. And I was just thinking like, why would athletes be worried about whether they're going to get paid? These guys are making like 30, 40, 50 million a year. You know, why, why, why would they be concerned about that? But um, I know you mentioned financial literacy earlier. Like a lot of athletes don't understand all of that, like that, you know, they, they, they should be saving some of this money and not spending it, blowing it on a mansion or partying or whatever it is, man. And um, did you have anybody in your ear when you were in the NFL, like to, to teach you about like some of these skills? Well, I'm cheap as it is. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm one of those guys that I, I don't have social media because I don't, I can give two craps about what people are eating. That's mm. just, me. but I also understand the benefit of it. But you know, like you said, it goes back to that social aspect when you talk about utilizing it for your brand. You know, 80% of athletes go broke uh, two years after they're done playing because of the pressure that sports puts on, you know, as a society. As society. So what I mean by that is literally, you know, I see Odell Beckham pull up in the Bentley. I got to compete because on game day, am I going to be frowned? Is it going to be frowned upon that I pull up in a Honda Accord? Like, are people going to talk bad about me? Well, that's the pressure of it. Versus in reality, who cares? You got brand new Honda Accord. I see you. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. When you're around guys who are driving Bentleys, it's that pressure to, you know, keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, I I think we talked about this before where, like, you know, these, these athletes should be getting trained in financial literacy way before, you know, they, they, they're signing contracts and all that, man, just to prevent all this stuff from happening in the first place. Yeah, I don't think you could prevent it because you always got to have those guys who really go out and try it. But I think there needs to be some level of understanding in terms of understand credits, um, you know, credit taxes, budgeting, saving, nothing else. Figure out what you could do to double your money, because I guarantee you, you know, guys like Bill Gates, guys like um, all of them, all the guys who make some, you know, serious money, Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. all those guys, they're always thinking about the next dollar. And how does that come? Making money when you sleep, residual income. If mm-hmm. I buy commercial real estate, am I, you know, investing in how, like, what are you doing to double that income? Don't just sit on it and buy Gucci because that depreciates as soon as you leave the store. And if you bring it back, if you don't bring it back within 30 days, you ain't getting anything back. Because, <laughs> you know, you sell a house in 30 days, you can flip that thing for a couple hundred thousand, a million, whatever that, you know, whatever that is. So think about that, you know, from that standpoint. It's, uh, it said, I heard an interesting stat. If we were to invest, instead of buying Jordans, they were $150 in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse, 2005, they were $150. And after taxes, I believe they were like $163. Don't ask me why I remember that. But uh, <laughs> they were about $160. If you were to put that money into Nike stock, you would have over $100,000 today. Wow. Wow. I never even thought Just about that. Nike stock. And that's, that's the education that we need around, you know, is it a, do we have to start? Do we have to go buy the iPhone every time it comes out? Mm. Nike, uh, Apple is a trillion dollar company now. They're, they're switching up charges. They say you get about 300 yard uses out of a charger before it goes. So it's strategically thought out you know, in terms of how many. And think about how many charges you know, went through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm almost out. <laughs> every few iPhones, they change. So that's the business plan. But why can't we do that? That's so true, man. That's so true. Yeah, thank you for that, man. I did a lot of the stuff I didn't even know, man. Like, 
I they, like it's trial and error for me, man. And being in this, you know, the business side of the NFL, you see a lot of things that yeah, I get a lot of exposure, and that's what I want to give back to the community. Right, right. Yeah, man. All right, let's 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 get a little silly here, man. Let's play a little game here, man. Um, so we got this or that. So you just basically choosing between two different things. You can explain it if you want, but you don't have to. Um, so we got track or basketball. Basketball, man. I, 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 I can play. I'm not going to run on the track for fun. <laughs> That's the reason why I love, um, you know, Coach Hawkins and Andrew, but I love him. But, you know, basketball, being indoors, warm, I'm going to have some fun. I could play. I, I could do that with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you play basketball like all day, man. Just all day long, <laughs> man. Be stanking off. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, man. Um, all right. Science or math? Ooh, math. Math. I don't like yeah. either, but I'm going to go math. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, sports car or truck? Truck. All day long. Love my trucks. <laughs> I got family, man. I'm a family man. I'm out of that phase now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, veggies or fruit? Uh, I'm gonna go veggies, man. I like collard greens. Okay, okay. Quarterback or running back? Running back, man. Quarterbacks are spoiled, <laughs> <laughs> especially now. You can't even touch the quarterbacks no more. Right? Touch them. <laughs> uh, sports drink or water? Uh, sports drink. Do Gatorade, not G2. Though. I need some sugar, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get those electrolytes back, right? Facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, all right. So another silly question here. If you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? I'd be an incredible Hulk, man. I used to uh, be in shape a little bit, but I like to slam people. That's my thing. <laughs> That's my thing. Yeah, I can see that, man. And, and the Hulk, too, man, like throughout, you know, the storyline, he learns to kind of like master himself, man, and control when the Hulk comes out and all that, man. So I could kind of see that self-mastery and, you know, knowing when to bring the Hulk out and and yes. when to, to reserve, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, man, leave us with what you think your favorite quote is and what it means to you. Oh man. Um, so I learned this from two, you know, mentees who attended Amityville High School and graduated, I want to say 2017, mm-hmm. 2018, one of the two. But um they're down in Clark Atlanta now and one of the things they said to me, you know, I was, I wasn't, I guess I was complaining. It's another form. I'm not making any excuses, but I was talking about, you know, what I didn't have and, you know, what it used to be like. And they said, man, you can't complain about having a lot on your plate when your goal was to eat, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, wow. Okay. Two mentees are telling me this. So I'm going to stick with that. And I actually put it on a shirt and I write it on my board and, you know, it's in my daughter's room. You know, we do quotes every day, and that one stays up there. And we usually put another one up there. But that one resonated with me just because, uh, you know, they said it to me as mentees, but at the same time, it just hit home for me. You know, and don't don't forget about the ultimate goal of grinding. Wow, yeah, I'm gonna remember that one, man. That's and kids came up with that, man. Like, yeah, like you know, sometimes like we, you know, as adults, we're like, yeah, I can't really learn nothing from no kid, man. You don't know that, but you know, like. They they do have you know they 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 do have a lot of gems man and I'm glad you absorbed that man I'm uh, absorbing it right now <laughs> absolutely yeah they uh you know two products out of Amityville you know two guys who uh two good guys twins um you know just really good people at the end of the day and you know I'm always willing to learn and always listening to people and the last thing I'll say is you know what what other word can you spell with the same letters as listen. 
Exactly. I'm waiting on an answer for that. <laughs> exactly. Just like just what it was, silent. So wow. in order to be in order to be a great listener, you have to be silent and actually take part in what someone's trying to say to you. Yeah, I'm gonna steal that one, man. That's, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I'm gonna steal that one. But yo, man, uh Darrell, thank you so much for your time, man. I know your time, you know, you're doing your masters, you got your daughter, man. Literally every time we speak, you know, you're either dropping your daughter to school or picking her up you know, doing something, man. And you got the NFL. It's Monday night football right now, man. And and you just really gave us, you know, some some quality time right here, man. So we appreciate that, man. Uh, I appreciate you all. And uh, Mr. G, appreciate you for your show. And, you know, let me know how I can assist down the line. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, matter of fact, if, uh, you know, a kid is interested in your camp or just some advice, some football advice or athletic advice, is there any way they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, Darrell.Young at NFL.com. 516-410-3685 is my cell. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your your cell might be ringing off the hook. (laughs) That's all good, man. People don't want to talk to a guy that, you know, that that ain't playing no more. I get it. But for the ones who are serious, you'll know, you know, and I might get two or three texts, and that's the goal. I respect that, man. Touch the heart of somebody. I respect that, man. Giving out the cell, man. That's that's <laughs> love, man. That's love. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. All right, man. Guys, it's, it's been a fun time, man. Hopefully we can bring Darrell back on the program. Um, but it has been great. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, remember, the mind is the most powerful tool in the universe. Therefore, if you can think it, you can do it. If you believe in it, you can be it. And if you fight for it, you can have it. The world is yours. This has been your host. See you next time on Mastermind.